0: A group of revolutionaries sits in a forest planning their assault on a nearby town to oust a military stronghold there. They sneak their way through and take the highest point, the church, to force the military to surrender. They were up against professionals, outtrained and outgunned. But this army of farmers, lawyers, and doctors was able to secure this town, paving the way for the establishment of a free nation for their people and securing their victory march into Havana.
1: y a la patria
2: al fruto
1: con sus hombres dignamente
2: ¡Que viva Fidel! ¡Que viva Fidel!
1: Those communists are amazing. Alright everybody, welcome back again to the Turn Leftist Podcast. I'm Mike, he, him, and tonight I'm here with Jaron, he, him, Ward, he, him. I know for our listeners here, we unfortunately lost Ward's audio track in the recording of this episode, so we tried to just make do with what we had left. And we have our special guest, Gray. He uh, joined us once before, but this is his second appearance on the Turn Leftist Podcast. Welcome back, Gray. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Your pronouns are also he, him, correct? Yes. Cool, cool. Alright, and uh, so... Gray, if you're not familiar, if you hadn't listened to the other episode, he is Red Marksman, R-E-D underscore M-A-R-X-M-A-N on Instagram. And he's got a lot of funny memes as well and is another uh, firearm enthusiast like myself. So uh, tonight we're going to talk about the topic of firearms. Obviously, they are a hot topic right now. They're in the news because this is just a couple of days after the, the first couple of mass shootings since coronavirus hit the country. You know, everyone has been making the observation that we are now finally getting back to normal now that people are getting vaccinated and the U.S. can sort of return to its normal state of, uh, you know, mass gun violence. So that's a fun aspect of living in the U.S. But are um, back, baby. Uh, Hell yeah. So we just wanted to talk about firearms and gun control as an idea and give sort of the leftist perspective on it and also try to dispel a lot of myths and misconceptions that people may have about firearms and gun control in general. Uh, Great. Did you want to go through this little thing that you wrote up here to uh, introduce us to the topic?
0: Sure. So, as uh, as Mike mentioned, we're just after, you know, these mass shootings in uh Boulder and Georgia. So, these events thrust the gun control conversation back into the mainstream. Uh, this has had the effect of causing liberals to advocate for, you know, bringing back uh sole weapon bans that, you know, mainly affect stuff like those big black scary rifles, you know, with large magazines. Um, Liberal politicians usually don't understand how firearms work, so that winds up with them banning features that don't actually impact the function or reduce the rate of deadliness of a firearm. Most of the stuff they ban make it look tactical, make it look like a military weapon. Uh, Things like pistol grips, flash hiders, uh, collapsible stocks are normally the the aim. Historically, gun control has been used to disarm and oppress minorities, the marginalized and anti-capitalist groups. The National Firearm Act of 1934, which was passed after the attempted assassination of FDR by anarchist Giuseppe Gonzara, created a paywall to access items regulated under the Act, consolidating firepower in the hands of the state and elites. Additionally, Title II was added to the NFA in 1968 to further regulate access to firearms in response to the anti-capitalist and civil rights movements of that time. This is because armed minorities are harder to oppress. And no one has ever allowed their power to be voted away without the threat of violence. This is why Reagan has been quoted saying, there's no reason why on the street today a civilian should be carrying a loaded weapon. And that guns were, quote, a ridiculous way to solve problems that have been solved among people of goodwill. While Marx, alternatively, has been quoted saying, above all, during and immediately after the revolution, The workers must oppose bourgeois attempts at pacification. To be able to forcefully and threateningly quell opposition to this party, workers must be armed and organized. The whole proletariat must be armed at once with muskets, rifles, munitions, and ammunition. The revival of the old-style citizen militia directed against the workers must be opposed. Under no pretext should arms and ammunition be surrendered." Sorry
1: about that. I uh, lost my internet connection. Now I'm going to have to switch over to the phone uh, for the rest of the uh, recording. So I'm going to sound like this, unfortunately. So I'm assuming that you got through that main intro passage that you wrote up there, which is a good place to sort of start us off.
2: I think we left off at under no pretext, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone's
1: unfamiliar with the Marx quote, it is under no pretext should arms and ammunition be surrendered. Any attempt to disarm the workers must be frustrated by force if necessary. So contrast that with the typical view of people who are into guns think, you know, communists want to disarm everybody. If you ask any Second Amendment nut who's got like a 3 percenter flag or a Gadsden flag on his truck, he will say that communism is when you disarm the workers and the Nazis were socialists and that's why they were able to kill all Jews. Just your typical run-of-the-mill ignorance when it comes to leftism and communism. So just to get into the, the basics of it, I think what we'll be getting at tonight is that Yes, leftists are very much in favor of arming workers. Uh, We don't want to seize guns from anybody except for the capitalists, uh, the bourgeois, the people who would try to rule over the workers. And so we oppose gun control. And also, I think we'll, we'll talk a good bit about why gun control is really not an option in America. I mean, you can make attempts at it and we can pass legislation, but it's just not really going to work. And we will get into why. But also, yeah, I mean, just to, to reiterate the point, anybody who's on the right or the left should oppose gun control. I think the only people who should be in favor of gun control the way that it's done in America are people who benefit from the status quo of white supremacy. So basically the bourgeois elite. And they are the people who control all the media. So
2: it's not a surprise that that is the message that gets out. If I may, on that same subject, I think that it's it's pretty... Empirically obvious, you know they're addressing gun control because it's it's a it's a colorless subject. It's a subject that, like you said, consolidates power to white supremacist groups, which, for all intents and purposes, is the government. But at the same time, the majority of these mass shootings are done by white supremacists or people who have been convinced by white supremacist media that they are like this uh, Alyssa guy in Boulder. He was paranoid. You know, he was probably looking at a bunch of fucking QAnon shit coming from right-wing mouthpieces online. So all of this stuff about gun control is just a way for the government to refrain from addressing white supremacy to me. They're missing the forest for the trees. They're saying the guns are the problem instead of this 800-pound gorilla in the room, which is white supremacy. They can't, they just won't, they won't and they can't say it.
1: Well, no, because I mean, white supremacy is part of America, just as much as the American flag and apple pie are, you know, white supremacy is the foundation of this country. So it just doesn't benefit anyone's interest who upholds this country to even address white supremacy, let alone make any real attempts at tackling it. White supremacists are, by far, objectively and statistically, who commits the most domestic terrorism in the country. Colorado is obviously the exception to the rule, and the conservatives are jumping all over it, and they love the fact that this Muslim man committed this mass murder. But that still does not change the fact that The vast majority of all the other incidents like this were committed by far-right white dudes. Um, So let me just get into some of the stuff that I had prepared here. I want to talk about why gun control measures are typically well-intentioned but terribly executed. So if the intention is to make it harder for people to commit mass murder, then the way to do that would be just to ban all semi-auto magazine-fed firearms. That would be much more effective. And that would leave you only revolvers, shotguns, and internal magazine or bolt-action rifles as your only option. Um, This would effectively outlaw all pistols and, of course, most rifles designed after 1917. But this would be incredibly difficult to first pass into law, but then also to carry out. A big part of the reason gun control is so poorly done is because of the pushback from very effective gun lobbyists, groups like the NRA, obviously, and conservative politicians who obstructed or watered down the proposed bills. But even if we were to see some sweeping and drastic gun legislation, actually taking the guns from people who have them is another problem entirely. People who have guns typically have a lot of them they tend to be conservatives they're often law enforcement or military themselves or at least friendly with them and so it would be very difficult maybe even impossible to get the police to start confiscating these guns from civilians but also this is absolutely something that gun owners have been paranoid about and preparing for since at least 1975 and the outing of projects like MKUltra but i mean also just to reiterate that like every time a gun law is proposed every time there's a mass shooting every time you know a democrat gets elected into office Gun forums are flooded with this very tired joke about boating accidents. This is gun nuts saying, I would love to turn in my firearms, but I lost them all in an unfortunate boating accident. This is like word for word what they say. Like, they're not very creative people. And this is their not so clever way of saying that they intend to hide their firearms somewhere. And if the police come looking for them, they'll just claim that they lost them all. And this is the more peaceful gun owning crowd that I'm talking about. This is not even like the people who are entertaining some kind of fantasy about actively and violently resisting the state. And that's where the three percenters and the 1776 uh, fetishizing kind of guys come in. Like just yesterday, I saw somebody on Reddit. They were making that boating accident joke. And when the other commenters weren't like ripping them apart for the lame entire joke, several of them were saying, word for word, that, quote, if it is time to hide your guns, then it is time to use them. So that's really what I think gun control is trying to avoid, is that defining moment that actually galvanizes all these gun owners into some kind of Action where they would actually do something like we saw on January 6, but on a mass scale. So going on, the current method of gun control in the U.S. seems to be to introduce piecemeal legislation that bans individual types of guns or features of them in drips and drabs over time. And this way, you never really have to do some kind of massive and invasive operation to take them from people. You know, invade their homes and send the cops in to take stuff from them. And you just prevent more from being sold with time. And gun owners will have to increasingly hide what they currently own so they can't even bring it to the range to train with. And eventually, the guns will just have to rust away. Uh, They become antiques. They won't work anymore. And that's if they even are daring enough to hand them down to their kids. Obviously, we can imagine why people might not want to hang on to their daddy's felony firearm. Uh, So in short, the gun control by attrition, it seems to actually be the way to go, but that's not really satisfying to people who want gun control that will actually stop mass shootings. Like people who want to really stop mass shootings and think that gun control is the way to do it, they kind of understand that you would have to remove firearms from people who would be inclined to commit these shootings. So banning individual features like that is just not going to be the way to go about it. But it really is probably the only way to actually decrease the number of firearms that people have. And It just takes decades upon decades, like literally generations. But the other major issue with gun control, and the part that's relevant to us on the left, is that it's often used to disarm working class people. And this is what Gray was touching on at the beginning wealthy are able to easily skirt the law. Many of the current gun laws can be circumvented entirely if you just have the money to pay for the required paperwork, and of course people who are wealthy enough can always hire private security guards who have the credentials to carry whatever they want, usually ex-military or law enforcement themselves. Not to mention that if any laws go into effect regarding people's mental fitness as a criteria for gun ownership, or if they have a history of substance abuse, if they've been institutionalized, etc., this can easily be used to target marginalized people who wouldn't actually be dangerous. I don't think it's outlandish at all for any of us to picture a scenario where all trans people are deemed mentally ill by the state and unable to protect themselves from violent bigots, as well as anyone who has been to a Black Lives Matter or Antifa protest or has expressed communist sentiments online. Uh, Meanwhile, cops, military, other people involved with white supremacist organizations and online propaganda who are objectively the biggest threat would be left alone. So, I mean, that's just... The quickest way I could explain why anyone on the left, if you are progressive, if you actually do care about movements that stand for marginalized people, you should oppose gun control because it can and will be used to target the people who need to defend
2: themselves the most. I think, again, it's just it's one of those things where there's sort of this passive indoctrination that's happening constantly. So like the best example that I can think of relates to the Atlanta shooting and this guy who was you know, intentionally targeting Asian women. You know, obviously Donald Trump's, you know, attacks on Asian people, read the China virus and all this shit, you know, that was obviously there. And then everybody gets Joe Biden and they're like, oh, it's going to be different. But the thing is, is Joe Biden is still stoking that flame. And this is to my point about white supremacy being the problem, not firearms. You know, on one hand, he's saying stop Asian hate. And on the other hand, he's saying, what about the Chinese labor camps, the Uyghur camps? And, you know, fuck the Chinese government. So literally, Mm -hmm. he'll say these things five minutes apart. Like, no, we're not racist, but also you better watch out for those darn Chinese. Mm -hmm. It it still contributes to the same end. And now we're having this discussion about, well, how could we have kept the gun out of the crazy dude's hand instead of why was the dude crazy? You know, Mm -hmm. it completely avoids their subject. And the Democratic Party is still doing what Donald Trump did. It is still radicalizing people to be racist and be white supremacist.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually, I didn't write up a lot on it, but I figured we should talk about it anyway. Um, And that's how to actually prevent mass shootings, like if you really want to make that change. And to do that is incredibly difficult because it's literally changing the entire structure of this country and how it works. It's going to sound like a, you know, a tired trope from this podcast, especially, but like the fucking problem is capitalism. then the problem is that people are alienated. They don't feel like they're a part of their community. Like if you lived in a different system where you weren't just an individual making it on your own uh, with no help from anybody, with no ties to your community, if you actually just saw the people in your community as people, you wouldn't be able to go and do this. You wouldn't be able to go and just mow down a bunch of other people as if they weren't actually humans. But to do that would require a system that doesn't atomize everyone and just break everything down to the level of the individual and keep everybody so separate and alone all the time. You know, people have like an instinctual feeling that the system is wrong, that it's not working for them. But because of the indoctrination they're all subject to, they have a myriad of different explanations why and they're bullshit. Like, you know, people who blame different races, people who blame any kind of marginalized group, people who blame immigrants. All these sentiments have spurred mass shootings. People who blame LGBT people. Like, what was that, uh, the nightclub shooting where the guy just shot up a gay club? Like, somebody shot up a concert as well because they, you know, they knew this person had a bunch of LGBT fans. It's like all these things that spur the hatred in people lead to these mass shootings, but they're all part and parcel of capitalism. And if you just actually had a system that made people feel like a part of the community, that would do a lot to ease these feelings of separateness and it would make it much harder for people to just go and commit wanton violence without any regard for humanity.
0: So there was a, there was a tweet that I saw um, that was specifically talking about the the guy in Georgia with the Asian massage parlors. They were talking about how it wasn't necessarily like anti-Asian, but it was white supremacy because he had the fantasy of dominating Asian women and he acted on that like that that was his idea of like even if he may not have necessarily been the kind of guy that's got like the what is it the fourteen eighty eight tattoos or you know mm-hmm. um iron cross like he may not have been that type of white supremacist, but he had in his head this like docile Asian woman archetype. That he was like, well, because that exists in my head, I've got to get rid of the people who cause that, as opposed to addressing my own my own issues. And, and you know, that's that's where I think it it comes down to a more nuanced. Again, may not be the guy that's got the the Punisher flag with like SS on it or or whatever, but that that inherent white supremacy that just comes along with our the U.S. culture.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot of really good takes from. Other leftists online lately, you know, in reference to all these things and a couple were someone was saying that white supremacy is not just racism. It's not just, you know, people in the KKK or whatever. It's a very subtle thing that just is the attitude of assuming that normal is white and cis and like all the things that you think of as like the traditional American family or values or whatever. That's literally what supremacy to think that that is what is normal in America and that minorities, LGBT people, any kind of immigrants are not normal. Uh, Would you have,
2: Jaren? It's building off of that about like the systemic white supremacy of this. And you guys actually touched on it um, a second ago when you were talking about the paywalls erected around firearm ownership. And generally that's what regulation means in the U.S. for people, you know, average citizens look at healthcare regulation meant paywalls. It meant funneling money into specific avenues. So as long as we're talking about money and availability of it and how much people have money, you know, demographically, the average white family is worth a lot more than the average black family. that's just an empirical economic fact. I can't remember the exact statistic, but you can check it out from the literal EPI. So, you know, if it is a question of we're going to regulate guns to make them harder to get via how much they cost or paying for a license or whatever. What you're really doing is preventing people of color from getting guns. You're not Mm -hmm. preventing, all you're doing is homogenizing the racial disparity of gun ownership. And that's it. And if that isn't white supremacy, then I don't know what is. Yeah. I mean,
1: most gun control just prevents poor people from getting guns. It prevents working class people from getting guns. That's really what it's meant to do. And just like you were saying, Jaron, earlier about, how focusing on the guns distracts away from the real problem of why people are committing mass shootings. And it, you know, distracts away from addressing white supremacy. Focusing on mental illness is another thing. And the conversation has shifted in in the recent years to focusing on mental illness, because that is another comfortable, easy and preferable option for the state to address that and blame that as the problem, rather than try to even address why people would feel so desperate and alienated that they would be willing to lash out against the system in some ridiculous way, like killing a bunch of people who are in their same class. Like you notice none of these people go after like anybody who's actually in charge. They don't go after people in like a government building, any place where there's armed security, any place that actually has the security that we should all be afforded if our country really cared about us and our lives as citizens. Um, well, and then, no so I also did it on January 6th, no, they didn't bring anything. <laughs> 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 Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, that's a it's a very good point. Um, I was just going to say, like, in that way, like, the traditional conservative, you know, redneck gun guys are actually right. The way to prevent some mass shootings would be for more people to be armed. If we just lived in a country where more people left and right were armed and it was known that they were armed, like, if you just had the base assumption that about 50 percent of the people in any public place were probably concealed carrying you'd probably be less likely to go and even attempt a mass shooting because you know that you'd get murked in a couple of seconds. Like you're just not going to go fucking do it. Um, but I do want to, and most of what I wrote up tonight is about firearms themselves. Um, I know we could probably spend a lot of time talking about why we should oppose gun control and why the U S is doing gun control badly. And you know, why the real problem is white supremacy and capitalist alienation. But I feel like, Probably a lot of other leftist spaces are going to do the exact same thing, and I don't think it's a really original take for us to have. I do want to uh, address some of the common misconceptions about firearms and why a lot of the well-meaning legislation and measures that people introduce are not really effective or even based in actual knowledge of firearms and how they work. So one of the most common ones is high-capacity magazines. So regarding, quote, high-capacity magazines, I would call a 30-round magazine a standard capacity magazine. But So there are nine states that ban magazines over 10 rounds, attempting to make it more difficult to fire a lot of rounds in a short time. There are some differences in the laws, but essentially what you cannot have is a magazine that holds more than 10 rounds. In certain states, another criteria is whether that magazine is detachable. Uh, Like I know New York and I believe California are that way. So the way this is circumvented is usually with a fixed magazine kit. So you would install this onto like an AR-15. And what it does is it makes it impossible to remove the magazine without an Allen wrench or a screwdriver. And when you want to reload, you have to either detach the upper receiver and load bullets into the magazine from the top, or you simply get this speed loader, which is a little device that holds bullets in it. And you basically drop that into the ejection port, which is where the shells come out when you're firing. And then you can load rounds into the magazine that way in under a second. It's really quick. So that's just an example of how, again, a well-meaning and well-intentioned piece of legislation is very easily skirted and it actually just creates a profit incentive. Like, as soon as these gun laws are created, some company, some firearms manufacturer comes up with a product that skirts that law and that's what they do. Like, they work with the ATF, they send letters back and forth with the ATF to make sure what they're doing is legal and it becomes a very popular selling product. We'll get into pistol braces in a little bit because that's probably one of the best examples. And it just creates another avenue for profit to skirt the law and make the gun control effectively useless. Did you have something, Greg?
0: Yeah, so um, I was just going to talk about the difference between uh, using stripper clips uh, for internal magazine firearms versus uh, like swapping mags on like an AK or a, an AR. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the time, you're going to be able to do a stripper clip of five or 10 cartridges faster than you could do uh, a swap. Even, you know, the most trained AK operator, still, I always see him trying to wobble the mag in just properly to the point that the Chinese Model uh, 63 was more widely used um, by the People's Liberation Army because they knew that it was uh, more accurate, uh, faster to reload, uh, and did a lot more of the primary shooting, and the AKs did more of the suppressing fire. Anything that needed to just have a whole bunch around, slew. so you look at it, you think of the AK, you think that's like the big bad rifle that they used. No, that was that was their support rifle for semi-automatic, internal magazine, stripper clip-fed rifles, which are the, the things that you would be able to own under some of the most strict states like New York. So uh, some people may be familiar with the SKS totally legal to own in New York internal mm-hmm. and the SKS is exactly the same thing as the model 63. So the primary weapon of the people's liberation army still available in New York
1: is basically a hunting rifle. Yeah. Yeah. More than it, an assault rifle. Yeah. And, but the only difference
0: is it's got a wood stock.
1: Yeah. Huh. That's cool. I didn't even know about the model 63. I only knew about SKSs and AK 47s. Somebody was in my DMs uh, earlier today on Instagram asking me about, like, some posts I had made regarding gun control and stuff and why it's kind of useless. And they did the traditional, you know, line about, you know, people can defend themselves easily with, um, you know, shotguns or pistols or things that aren't assault weapons. And I'm like, well, what's an assault weapon? And they said, like, things that are high-capacity magazines, like AK-47s and AR-15s. And I was trying to explain to them, you know, look up a a Ruger Mini-14. There is no difference between a Ruger Mini-14 and an ar 15 in actual practice. The only thing, the only difference is it has wood furniture. It fires the same rounds as an AR-15. It takes the same magazines. Uh, it fires just as fast. It's semi-auto, just like an AR-15 is. It's just that it looks like a hunting rifle, so it's not very well-known among people who are not into guns, and it's not considered scary. Um,
2: but I actually did write a section up on that later. We may address that a little more. Can I, um, so I ask a general one, question, since you guys yeah, know more about the gear related to this? I don't want to completely derail anything, but uh, what's your take on the Trump bump stock thing? Cause I know a lot of people were like, oh, well, you know, Trump actually banned something in regards to firearms. He's closer to taking away your guns than anybody. So what, Yeah. what would the thoughts be on that? Um, bump stocks were more of like a,
1: a novelty and I did address in some of my reading here, the difference, uh, actually the next section I have is semi-auto versus full auto. So that kind of addresses that as well. Let me, let me get into that, and then I'll see if that answers your question as well. Yeah. Um, so the difference between semi-auto and automatic is semi-auto means one bullet is fired each time you pull the trigger. Full auto is when you hold the trigger and it fires continuously. This is what people think of when they think of machine guns. So full auto has been behind the government paywall since 1968 when anti-gun legislation was mostly aimed at disarming Marxists, leftists, and civil rights proponents. To own full auto firearms, you have to have about $2,000 a year of disposable income for licenses and legal fees there are still ways people can circumvent this cost. Bump stocks were a popular way to achieve that full-auto fire effect by allowing the shooter to not have to move their finger to pull the trigger multiple times. If anybody's not familiar, you can look up YouTube videos of how bump stocks work. That's probably the easiest way to explain it, but basically it was that you would hold your finger on the trigger and the firing of the firearm would push it back into you, but the bump stock would spring it forward and it would basically just simulate automatic fire. Um, there's also trigger modifications. Oh, good. I'm glad you put this in here, Greg, because I didn't address binary triggers and I wanted to. So there's also trigger modifications like binary triggers, which shoot when the trigger is pulled and once when it is let off, or the force reset trigger that is effectively the same as a bump stock, but achieves this result through alternative means. I have never even heard of the force reset trigger. Can you yeah. explain how that works a little?
0: So so the force reset trigger, uh, whenever the bolt in an uh, AR-15 goes back, um, and I know this is a podcast, of so visual aids suck, but... Of course he has um, one right by his side, I love it. So, what happens is, when you fire, the hammer goes up, hits the firing pin, uh, ignites the primer, uh, which sends the powder and the cartridge down the tube. The bolt will actually go back using either, uh, w- one of several different types of methods, which resets the hammer. A force reset trigger will also, when resetting the hammer, push the trigger forward to reset what's called the sear, which in a semi-automatic gun is supposed to make it. So you have to pull the trigger every single time instead of having it be fully auto, which we'll get into. So you can just keep even pressure on your finger and it will just fire back and forth all day long.
1: That's crazy. I never even knew about that one. Yeah, I knew about binary triggers. For anybody familiar, a binary trigger is basically you pull the trigger back like you would any normal trigger, and it fires. But then it also fires again once you let your finger off that trigger. So pulling the trigger once just goes ba 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 every time you fire it. And for anybody who thinks that that sounds like an incredibly stupid idea, um, because what if you fire one round, but then you don't want to fire that second round? Well, then you can put the safety on while you still have the trigger depressed, and then it won't fire that second round you let off. That was my first question when I heard about a binary trigger, at least. Um, I'd also suggest look up on YouTube for people doing what they call the belt loop trick or bump firing. And these are a whole bunch of different ways that people achieve the same effect as like a bump stock, just literally holding their thumb through their belt loop and then pulling the trigger of their weapon. And it just basically simulates automatic fire. It's just as fast. But all of this is to not even address the fact that automatic fire is not even really the massive danger that I think people assume that it is. Um, Like, as far as I know, people who are in the military don't really use automatic fire a whole lot. Like, if they're in a firefight, they're mostly using semi-auto. They may use the three-round burst thing, but it really makes it hard to be accurate. Like, it's not like the movies where you could just hold down your finger on the trigger and just sweep a crowd of people and they all just fall over. It's not how it works. Like, it makes it very impossible to be accurate. So, the semi-auto is really the way that people would actually fire a gun if they wanted to do the most damage. So, as far as the bump stock, I guess the short answer is that it was kind of a novelty. And again, banning bump stocks was another one of those things that looks like they're doing something, but doesn't really achieve a lot as far as like saving people's lives or reducing the deadness of guns. And it served to make gun nuts mad. Like I remember all the people who were on the right and thought that Trump was like the, the savior of the country were really fucking pissed that Trump did that. And you know, they were absolutely just devastated that Daddy Trump would dare ban some part of their firearms, even if it was something that they didn't like. Um, But yeah, so it is what it is. It's the principle, man. Exactly. Yeah. And that was actually a really divisive issue when I would like hang out in gun forums and I would see, obviously, mostly Trump supporters and the ones who would defend him. And they were what you call FUDs. Uh, FUDs for people who are not familiar in the gun community. Those are like grandpa type characters who say things like, oh, all you really need is a double barrel shotgun and a cold 1911 that fires eight rounds of 45. I wish you got great.
0: Well, and, and they, they are FUDs. They are Elmer FUDs. That is where that go. term Thank comes you. from.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the FUDs who would defend Trump would say, oh, what do you even really need a bump stock for? And then all the typical gun nuts would be like, it's not about what you need. It's about what you should be able to have because you have a Second Amendment right and nothing should be banned. So in that respect, like, they are kind of right. Like, you shouldn't have things banned just because you do or do not need them. It really is what comes down to the principle of having rights. So I think that covers semi-auto versus full-auto. I did have another section here just about AR-15s in general. And I want to address a bunch of the common myths and misconceptions about those. So AR does not stand for assault rifle, first and foremost. It comes from the model Armalite 15, or Armalite rifle model 15. And that's, you know, what they were designed from. Um, that's like the design taken from the traditional military m sixteen. Uh, were they first introduced in Vietnam? Do you know, Gray?
0: Yeah. So before that, they used the M one A one, which was still a semi automatic, external box fed magazine firearm. <laughs> you have one of those. Two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, so th- this is the successor to the uh, the rifle that when you shoot, it goes ping. When you're done, oh, the Grand. Yeah. So so this this is an M one Grand. Just, uh, it uses an external magazine instead of that top one. But mm-hmm. because when this was put into use, they knew that it was faster to use stripper clips, you can still stick a stripper clip in there and just load the magazine from the top. So that way oh, you get you the both. best of both. Yeah. So during Vietnam, they were originally issued, uh, M14s and then they developed the, uh, the AR. Because these you've got to grease, these you've got to make sure they're taken really well care of, um, like you've got to pack the bearings on the side so when you throw this into a jungle environment, it's not, it's not going to do well.
1: See, this is why I invited you on tonight, Gray. Because as much as I know about firearms, you, you know twice as much at least. I love it. So yeah, addressing just some common misconceptions about AR-15s. You know, people would commonly ask, why are AR-15s so popular and used in so many mass shootings? And I would say AR-15s are incredibly popular because they are ergonomic, they're easy to use, they're accurate, and they're inexpensive. Even now, during COVID and post-mass shooting times and post-Biden being elected, you can still get a budget model for under $400 if you know where to look. I'd say they probably typically run a little more than that if you want to get like a build kit or whatever. But yeah, you can probably get one on like 22 mods or something for like 400 Oh,
0: no, no. Maybe a, a Saratech. So, so the, reason, the reason why I modified that was because I built this for under $400. Recently? Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. you've just got to know like what sites to watch and when you can go pick up a, you know, bolt carrier group, which would normally be 120 bucks for like yeah. 75.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My first AR-15 I got from a, was a 22 mods for all, which is like the bottom barrel, like uh, the guys on um, on Reddit would call them chinesium um, because they will make fun of the metal that it's made out of and say that it's going to break the fruit. I mean, mine works fine. It's great. Yeah, that's such a Reddit take. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, even now you can get a budget model for under $400 if you know where to look. It's a simple design that you could put together in about an hour in your garage with some basic tools. You should think of the AR-15 as a platform, kind of like gun Legos. And hundreds of manufacturers produce parts for people to mix and match. And they are very mix and matchable. Like they're pretty much universal aside from a very few rare exceptions where it's like some high quality thing like a Daniel Defense, you know, and their rail doesn't fit on normal uppers or whatever. You can, for the most part, pop any lower onto any upper receiver. Uh, Not that you should, because there are legal concerns that we'll get into in a bit when it comes to pistols versus rifles. Um, And the parts themselves are mostly universally compatible, as long as they're consistent with the caliber of the cartridge. The ammo is also very common, and it's relatively cheap as well, a little less so lately, but you know, this is going to sound insensitive, and I'm sure I'm going to cut it, but like the fact that ammo prices were just starting to come down, then we get two mass shootings in a week, and they jump right back up. I was just about to buy some, too.
2: It's, um, it's like GME, you gotta, you gotta hold. <laughs> Diamond hands, so, buddy. Ah.
1: <laughs> so the AR-15 is essentially the pinnacle of engineering as far as firearms are concerned. And AK-47 enthusiasts will probably bristle at that, but for the most part it's true aside from some individual preferences. And just the availability of the parts and ammo beats out the AK or any other platform when it comes to the USA. It would still be the ideal firearm, even if we lived in a perfect world where it was only possible to harmlessly shoot targets. The controls are simple, they're intuitive, and the recoil is so minimal that you could literally hold the back of the rifle against your nose while firing and you would be fine. Uh, Just don't try it home.
0: What's up, Greg? Is, is automatic Kalashnikov model 47 not good enough for you? Rifle accounts <laughs> for two thirds of all firearms in the world. Rifle has helped in liberation of many countries against capitalist rule. Rifle was made to survive weakened mud and sand and still shoot. Rifle is meant to allow for arming of masses, not good enough. You, you think it needs improvement? And maybe you find job in, in Russia. Find the Russian rifle. thinks it needs crazy shit sticking on all sides of weapon. You have a disease of American capitalism.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I meant to ask you at the beginning if you were more of an AK or an AR guy, and if you were going to get mad at that. That my statement about AR fifteen being the pinnacle of firearm engineering. Neat rifle is fine. <laughs> <laughs> that is the common saying. Like, For anybody who's not familiar with gun forums, that is the common saying about AR about AK forty seven. Rifle is fine. Uh, persons, I think that applies there
0: as well. I mean, Mosin's are bolt action, but it's it's uh, it's it's definitely interesting. If you haven't watched Kalishnikov, the movie, it is terrible voice acting from the English voice actors that they put over it. But it's very fun to see how uh, how Mikhail, like, developed the rifle.
1: That's hilarious. Yeah, he was des- he designed farming equipment until the Nazis, you know, started to come around. And he was like, oh, I guess I got to go design some guns. Right. Isn't that the story?
0: yeah yeah like he, he literally said you know i i wanted to design farming equipment but the nazis made me design the kalishnikov
1: oh yeah well good on him for doing that at least but like i was saying before just go look up a ruger mini 14 and like i was saying it's essentially an ar-15 just it looks like a hunting rifle um so even if they banned ar-15s i think that would just make the ruger mini 14 incredibly popular probably would double in price overnight but I imagine that a bunch of other companies would start manufacturing the Ruger Mini-14 and parts to, to make one in your garage just like they do with AR-15s. Like, we're going to reiterate this a million times, but that's why gun control doesn't work is because as soon as you do it, companies just come up with a new way to circumvent it and they make a bunch of money overnight and gun nuts go out and buy these things like crazy. Not to mention that, like, like I was saying before, people who have guns typically have a lot of them and they all have plans as to what they're going to do if the things that they have become illegal and how they're going to skirt the law or just outright disobey it. If anything, gun owners are probably more motivated and more proactive when it comes to skirting these laws because they have, you know, multi-million dollar companies and industries behind them that are able to produce these products, literally manufacture them out of like these huge factories that they have designed for exactly the purpose. And all they got to do is retool their factory a little bit once the law changes and then start producing a slightly different part. And again, it just produces another industry. I do want to get into, in that vein, I want to talk about lower receivers. I think I'm going to have to skip ahead a little bit here. At this point, Ward made a very clever analogy comparing AR-15s to the Honda Civic of firearms. <laughs> even more, to, to go with that same analogy, even more than just a Honda Civic, like your basic bitch AR-15 for, that you get for 400 bucks that Gray has there would be like a Honda Civic. That thing will run forever. Like you will be able to put hundred, like not hundreds, but tens of thousands of rounds through that thing easily in its lifespan. And that would be like the Honda Civic version. And he could literally just replace piece by piece on that until it's the Rolls Royce of ARs. And that's how they work. Like they're so compatible that you could just literally start replacing one piece with another and just get more expensive ones over time until you have an entirely different gun. But it will just be that much
2: more expensive, you know, with the sum of all the parts. Uh, what did you have, Jaron? While we're on the subject of like <clears throat> regulation being used for profit, which, you know, the takeaway is the problem is capitalism. But even beyond that, you know, these are these are companies that while they're fanning the flame of like buy more guns and dually, they're making and then skirting regulation to make themselves more rich. They're also receiving millions in subsidies from us. Mm-hmm. We, we are basically providing their operating capital and then paying them again for their product. So when you when, you know, if you're a firearms enthusiast uh, and you go out and buy something, you're essentially paying for it twice. And if you're not a firearms enthusiast, even if you hate guns, you're still bankrolling these companies. Uh, You know, even just looking here, uh, the top three gun manufacturers in 2017 had a combined one hundred and five million in subsidies. Um, And that's just on the state level. That doesn't even include federal subsidies. And that doesn't even include companies like Lockheed Martin. Or Raytheon that make bombs, you yeah. know, but to me, it's it's like you're getting double fucked because these companies, while they're taking advantage of the private market, are also sucking on the teat of public subsidies and decrying communism at the same time, which is very ironic. I'll be honest. I didn't even know that was happening. I did not know that these firearm manufacturers were getting
1: government subsidies. That, that oh, absolutely cool. I can't really yeah. say I'm that surprised, but I did not know about it. Would you have a friend?
0: So I just wanted to piggyback off that. Um, So the other thing is that they have legislation that protects firearm manufacturing in the United States. So if I go purchase a Riley Defense RAK 47, 100% made in the United States. If I were to go to uh, Century Arms International, who import Romanian AKs, they can't have more than 10 of like a specific list of parts that are foreign made so they have like a a geo monopoly on guns that you can't have a fully russian ak or a fully romanian ak here it has to like only like a certain percentage of it and most of the time what they'll do is they'll have the the barrel and the trunnion and the receiver which are all like the major ak parts that are the, the actual, you know, real military ones from the, the comm block, and then they'll, they'll throw on some, you know, cheap laminate furniture that was made here, so that way it has the, the oh requisite God. parts. Of course. Hilarious. Such free market, much wow. <sighs> um,
1: so, I mean, that actually ties in pretty well to what I was going to say about lower receivers. So just a note on lowers, um, because another, you know, common thing that people... Like, the whole reason I even had the idea for this episode tonight is because my wife said to me yesterday, she's like, get ready, they're going to ban AR-15s, baby. I'm like, first of all, never going to happen. Second of all, let them try it. Like, they're not going to be able to take away anything. Like, it's just, it's not going to work. If they even were to pass it into legislation, the execution of that kind of a ban would just be so haphazard and horrendous. It would just be pretty much ineffective. But let me just get into a little bit about lower receivers. And again, I'm going to have to ask our listeners to Google something again. Sorry for telling everybody to Google so many things, but this is a very like kind of visual heavy episode. I mean, you're gonna have to visualize these things and see pictures of them if you're not familiar with them. But so go ahead and Google AR stripped lower. Um, And you will see the part of an AR-15 that is legally considered the firearm. It's the only part that has a serial number and it's the only part that is regulated or registered or recorded when you purchase one. So literally every other part that goes onto it, you can just buy online and have shipped to your door perfectly legally. And when it comes to receivers or or lower receivers, what you would do if you wanted to buy an AR-15, you have several options. You could buy one online and you could have it shipped to an FFL. Every time you want to buy a serialized part for a gun, like the part that is considered the firearm itself, you have to transfer that through an FFL, which is basically, I don't even actually, do you know what FFL stands for, Gray? Federal firearms license. Thank you. And so every gun store has one of those because they sell guns. They have to have a federal firearms license. So your local gun store, basically you would buy something online. You'd have it shipped to your local gun store. You'd go and pick it up, pay them like $30 or whatever for their fee, um, you know, for the convenience of being able to transfer it to you. You fill out some minimal paperwork. um, You do a background check if it's a pistol, and then you walk out with your firearm. It usually takes about 10, 20 minutes. So if you wanted to buy an AR-15, you could buy a whole AR-15. Like uh, if you wanted to get like a nice one, like a Daniel Defense, like an MK-18 or something, you could buy it online, have it shipped to to your local gun store. Go in there and pick it up. If you wanted to, you could buy the parts. You could go into your local gun store and just buy the lower. And you could transfer that the same way you would transfer any rifle. And you would walk out with just your lower. And then you could buy all of the other parts online and have them shipped to your door and put it together in your garage, like I was saying. Or you could do any number of combinations of these things. You could buy a complete lower receiver and then literally take any other upper receiver and just pop it onto there in literally a matter of seconds. It's quite literally two pins that you, you know slide in and out, and that puts your upper receiver onto your lower receiver. And then when it comes to lower receivers, I do want to mention 80% receivers. So the ATF has ruled in the past, 80% is where they draw the line between what is a firearm and what is a part that doesn't require a background check or registration, a serial number, etc. You can have an 80% receiver shipped to your door that you bought online, and you can mill it out to completion with the last 20% of it, making it a functional AR lower. And then you could build an AR-15 with no serial number, totally unregistered, and that's perfectly legal. You are perfectly legally allowed to manufacture your own firearms as long as you don't have any intent to sell it. And then if you do sell it, you then serialize it. You have to like engrave a serial number into it and then that transfer would have to be recorded somewhere. But as long as you're just using it for your own personal use, it is perfectly legal in most states, I should say. I don't think it's legal in like New York, New Jersey, California, the typical gun control heavy states you can't have 80% receivers. But in most other states, you can just build your own firearm and it's very easy. And this also applies to pistols too. If you look up a Polymer 80 Glock 19, that's probably the most popular one. And they're also incredibly easy. You can get the entire kit for like 500 bucks and have it all shipped to your door. And within an hour, you can put together your own Glock 19 with no serial number. Although they recently have had kind of a crackdown. I don't know if you can get the... Go ahead, Great. Seems like you're on it.
0: Yeah, so so that's, that's what I was saying late last year. Yeah. Um, because they are sending the polymer 80 lower with the jig that goes with it, they consider that like a, a kit that is effectively saying, "Okay, this uh, this is a firearm that someone is selling. This is uh, the material and the tools to do so." Uh, so the ATF said, "Okay, we're we're going to start taking these." So now what they have to do is they you effectively have to order from two separate companies of mm-hmm. here's the material. Here's the jig. But it's that, you know, incremental. We're just going to stay one step ahead of the law. We're going to do it however we want.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It used to be that you would get every part, including the jig, a jig for anybody who's not familiar. It's literally just like a plastic housing that the lower part of the gun would sit in. And that's basically so that you drill the holes in the correct spot and you don't cut away any of the plastic that you're not supposed to cut away. Because that's how they work. Like an 80% block is that you literally just cut off, like slice and sand off some of these tabs that are on the top of it. You drill a couple holes in it and you mill out a little bit around where the barrel would go. And that takes all of 20 minutes if you have the proper tools for it. And then you would put together the slide if you don't get a complete slide and you pop it on there and you are good to go. You have a functional pistol uh, right out of the box. Not right out of the box, sorry, with a little bit of work.
0: Um, so, um, on the lowers, I I do this in there. One of the other things that people have been doing, uh, like Control-Q and uh, Ivan the Troll, uh, are probably the, the biggest ones, is people have been 3D printing lowers as well. Mm-hmm. So, you don't have to even have the order from a company that manufactures it. You can go print off an AR-15 or Glock lower that has no record of of you ever ordering anything that is even remotely close to a lower. Uh, you can order the parts all day long, but if you do that, there's there's nothing that specifically says, you know, this person could have purchased something from a company that could be rated at some point in the future. Yeah, um, even,
1: yeah, I, mean, I guess that is the paranoia. Like, if you do think that the government really is going to go after gun owners at some point, then you would probably be paranoid that there is the records of your credit card being used to buy gun parts online, and that would be sort of the de facto record of you having an AR-15 or a Glock 19 that you built yourself or whatever like that. But that seems pretty unlikely. Like I don't imagine that these companies are really keeping those records for years on end, or if they are, that they're going to willingly hand them over to the government without some kind of long and intensive legal battle. But this is all just to get to the point that if AR-15s were banned tomorrow outright, and if there was some kind of sweeping legislation that was going to allow cops to invade and enter the homes of people who are suspected to have them, what you would most likely see is a lot of gun owners... Literally turning in the stripped lower, like I said, Google that if you're not sure what that is, and you get a lot of people turning in just the stripped lower and they will have, you know, effectively handed and surrendered their gun, but they will still have most likely an unserialized lower that they completed themselves, or they will at least have all the other parts and then probably be able to fashion the lower, like you said, with a 3D printer or in some other way. Um, I mean, they can literally just do it the old-fashioned way and get, like, a lathe and mill out a hunk of metal into a functional lower. So you're really not stopping anything. That's the point we're getting at, is that you you could know, ban AR-15s all you want, and people will absolutely find a way to have them because they have been planning for exactly that event for decades. One of the funniest things I saw this week was the guy who turned in those 2 by 4 shotguns that he fashioned. There was, like, a gun buyback. I think it was actually near you guys. Wasn't it in, was not it in Georgia? It was, I don't know. It was in some southern state, but there was, like... Apparently a gun buyback that took place, oh no, I think it was in Florida. And so what this guy did was he built these, you can literally build a shotgun with some pipes that you get from Home Depot. And so he built these really ugly ass ones. They literally were some pipes, not zip tie, but they were like those metal straps, uh, strapped to two by sixes. And all he had to do was go to these police who were running this gun buyback and he proved that it would work. Like he might have even fired a couple of rounds at him just to show them that it worked. I don't know. But once they saw that these were functional guns, they paid him $200 each for these metal pipes strapped to two by sixes ah. as the gun buyback. So he was just, and he wrote on it, he wrote like um, boomstick 1776
2: as we wrote on it. it was pretty that funny. is the most Florida story I've heard all week. <laughs> Dude, half of my job is dealing with 3D printers. I mean, repair, forums, all that shit. It is unbelievable how many free files you can get for gun parts. Yeah. Like not only is it free, it's everywhere. It it is like literally part of 3D printing culture to an extent.
1: Oh yeah, I want to. Um, I do want to get to what you have, Gray, but I just wanted to say real quick, I really should have written up a section on 3D printing in general because that is probably the next big revolution when it comes to guns. And even if they try to pass some kind of sweeping gun legislation. Um, 3D printing will just become even more popular. Like you're saying, Jaron, it already is a huge part of the 3D printing culture. I would suggest anybody check out. I think it was called Print the Revolution. It was a movie that I saw on Netflix a few years back, and it was part of it was featuring this guy, uh, Cody. I think his name was Cody Wilson, and he ran Defense Distributed, which was he was selling like his own 3D printer and then the mm. files to be able to print like AR-15 and Glock lowers and things like that. And then the government eventually locked him up. I think for unrelated things, he was a libertarian guy. Um, Say so, you no, know, no more needs to be said about that. He did, yeah, he, he he did get involved in some, uh, you know, libertarian rage Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. What would you have, Greg?
0: Um, so two things. One on the kind of piece together guns. Uh, there's a type of gun called the uh, Kyber gun or Kyber pass gun, which are People just taking literally whatever they can put together, and these are guns that are being used in the Khyber area uh, to actually defend against uh, military like insurrection. Um, they are some of the heinous, like most heinous guns that you'll see, um, but they work. And uh, so Ivan the Troll was the was the same one that you were talking about, the libertarian guy who developed the 3d printer and and started doing those files uh recently they did a documentary uh by popular front called plastic defense Mm -hmm. where a guy literally builds every piece of the gun at home without having to do that he gets the right pipes he gets everything he reams it himself so he builds an entire gun just by himself and uh now he's working on figuring out how to make bullets and primer so Jesus.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's all just a very like long explanation of why if gun legislation were really passed the way that people who want that kind of thing to happen, if gun control really were put into effect the way people want, all it would do is drive people who are into guns into being home manufacturers of guns, more so than they already are. Um, and like we're saying, this is already a major part of the gun enthusiast culture. All right. So let's talk a little bit about pistols versus rifles. Um, so now you would think it would be very easy to distinguish between what is a pistol and what is a rifle. If you think of a pistol, you think of like a Beretta or like a Glock that you hold in your hand. And if you think of a rifle, you think of like, you know, your 22 hunting rifle or an AR-15 or something. But it's really not that simple. So there's a lot of very confusing laws regarding what is classified as a pistol or a rifle and what is legal to own and what is regulated or outlawed entirely. For instance, if you had an AR-15 with a barrel length of 16 inches or longer and the lower is equipped with a stock on it, well, then that is a rifle. For anybody, again, this is another visual thing, but just Google a pistol brace or AR-15 pistol brace, and you will see what that looks like. And it probably will look like an AR-15 stock. Um, Also Google AR-15 stock, and you could try to, you know, hopefully see the subtle differences between them. They are very, very similar, but there is an important distinction, which is that the pistol brace has a Velcro strap that goes around it, and it's hollow in the middle. And what this is, this is meant for you to insert your arm through that brace and then wrap that Velcro uh, strap around your forearm and tighten it so that you can fire the, essentially, AR-15 with one hand. And originally, it was designed with the ostensible intent that it would be for people who maybe didn't have a second hand uh, to hold their, their AR-15 pistol with. It was, you know, meant as like a, an aid. But basically, what happens is when people realize that you could put that brace onto an AR-15 with a shorter barrel than 16 inches, and now your AR-15 short-barrel rifle would actually be classified as a AR-15 pistol. Then it was a way to skirt the law, and they became incredibly popular. Um, so I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit here. So you can have an AR-15, you have an AR pistol, and so this is any AR with a barrel length of fewer than 16 inches, and that can, and it cannot have a stock on it unless you register it as a short barrel rifle, which is a classification with the ATF. And to do that, you have to pay $200 for the tax stamp to do so. So what many people do is they put the pistol brace on there. Again, it looks very similar to a stock. And uh, I already went through how it's designed to be used. The ATF ruling initially was that you could not legally put that brace up against your shoulder and fire your AR pistol the way you would an AR rifle. Because if you did, it would change the classification of the firearm. So literally... Just putting it up to your shoulder and firing it that way would have been a felony. You would have then been committing a felony because you have this unregistered short barrel rifle as opposed to a pistol. But then they changed that. Uh, They released another letter and they basically said it doesn't matter how you use it. It literally is just a matter of whether or not you have a brace or a stock on it. So it leads to this really interesting territory where you can have in your house your AR pistol lowers that have braces on them. And then you can have your AR rifle lowers that have stocks on them. Just make sure that you don't ever put your AR upper that has a barrel length of less than 16 inches onto one of those rifle lowers because then you have committed a felony. It's, it's incredibly easy to commit a felony in your bedroom if you just put the wrong upper onto the wrong lower. Go ahead, Jaron. I can see you're puzzled.
2: Uh, well, okay. Because this isn't really my, my subject of, uh, you know, this isn't something I know a lot of shit about, but this is fucking ridiculous. It's absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely You're right. This is like, so I, I went to the CBD store down the street from me the other day, and they were like, here, try this Delta Eight shit. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. And uh I got ripped. I got high as fuck off oh, of this Delta Eight shit. I mean, it was like middle school high, you know? And I was oh, like, This man. is really <laughs> nice. And and then I, you know, I went back the next day to the guy and I was like, so like is that legal? And he was like, well, obviously I wouldn't sell it if it wasn't. And I was like, well, I got like really high off of it. And he was like, well, it's this part, it's this THC thing that's distilled out from the plant that exempts the federal regulation. This is reminding me of the, the legal pot market. Like mm-hmm. it's just a series of regulations for profit, not for safety. None of it makes any fucking sense. Like what you just described is insane. Yeah. And <laughs> like, it just it made me think, of like, you know, I went down the street and got ripped as shit. And it's, I could smoke it in my car while I'm driving. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, that's, that's really interesting. I'm going to have to look into the Delta yeah, A-, do. A Do recommend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, going back to what we were saying about 80% receivers, uh, it's not just AR-15s and Glock 19s. There are 80% receivers for other models of Glocks. So there are 80% receivers for 1911s. There's 80% receivers for SIGs, like every model of SIG you could have. What's up, uh, Gray?
0: So there are eighty percent receivers for AKs because, yeah. like the original way they were designed, was just a flat piece of steel, and you bend it, poke some holes in it, and and you've got yourself uh, a receiver that goes onto a trunnion kit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean AKs, I will say, are much more difficult to build. You have to be good at like riveting, and like you actually have to have a little more know-how than you would for an AR-15. Um, but it's definitely something you could build in your garage with a little bit of time and some mild
2: tools it just seems like it's it's impossible to regulate in a reasonable now, way you get it yeah i mean that's yeah that literally is what we just keep harping on over and over is like we're trying to just really
1: drive the point home that any gun legislation is going to be easily circumvented at
0: best so the thing that i want to come back to is i i know the phrase that all marijuana regulation is racist like literally it was done through reefer madness to create a funding category for, you know, this drug enforcement agency, same thing with firearms, like literally the the whole thing of regulating firearms only blocks out those who are marginalized.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it really is just, you know, anybody who doesn't like to really be affected by these things, you would have to be in such a position that you don't have the money to pay for the proper forms and registrations and whatever you're going to do to circumvent the laws, or you just are so working class and so poor that you don't even have access to the internet to be able to go and find out how to skirt them in some other way. Some other, you know, perfectly legal way to skirt these regulations. So but going back to the braces versus the stocks, just to drive it home. Um, yes, Jaron, you are absolutely right. It is one hundred percent ridiculous. It is absolutely stupid and just asinine. It m- really just makes little to no sense. But it's just the ATF trying to do what they can with the avenues that are available to them. Like just being able to write legislation, and, and not so much write legislation, like, it limits to the point where the ATF writes a letter, and then now changes what is classified as legal or not to own. Like, they turn people into felons overnight, just for the things that they already have in their houses, with a letter that they issue. Um, there was just a scare, I think it was like, maybe what, like six months ago, Gray, that they were worried about that they were going to outlaw pistol braces entirely. And they were going to say that even pistol braces were now considered short barrel rifles if you had one. And so a lot of people were, you know, ramping up the rhetoric about Boogaloo and all that shit and saying they were going to go and march on Washington or do whatever. Because this is before January 6th, obviously. And um, they were, you know, having all this talk. But then the ATF, thing, they ended up not doing it and they would left pistol braces alone. But that was a possibility for a little while there. But so like I was saying, just to hammer out the last couple details about it. If you were to buy an AR-15 rifle or an AR-15 rifle lower uh, from an FFL or from online and transfer it through your FFL, you can never make that into a pistol. Once it is a rifle, it has to stay a rifle. But you can make a pistol into a rifle. Like, it's perfectly fine to take your 16-inch barreled upper and put it on your pistol lower that has a brace. Um, It's just not okay to put your 10-inch barreled upper, meant for a pistol lower, onto your rifle lower that has a stock because then that would be the felony. So, I mean, essentially like there's no reason really to use anything other than a brace unless you're like really, unless you really love the idea of a stock and you really hate the way I guess a brace feels up against your shoulder when you're firing ar 15 I would say that it probably just makes the most sense, just for legal purposes, to just only have pistol lowers and then have whatever other AR 15 uppers you want of any length. And then you can safely put all of them onto that pistol lower. And you would be fine as far as the ATF and the law is concerned. That's all perfectly legal. And, you know, in case we haven't made it clear, like we're not suggesting anybody do anything illegal. I hope nobody is like getting that from this podcast. Like, not even just for our own protection. Like, I'm not worried about the ATF coming after us because I don't think we've suggested anybody do anything illegal, but just make sure that you fucking don't for your own safety. Like, the meme among the gun-owning community is that the ATF will just come to your house and shoot your dog. Every time, like, somebody makes a joke about doing something illegal, like, I sent Gray this meme a couple weeks ago that was really funny. Uh, It was, like, uh, the Doge dog, uh, that uh, Shiba Inu or whatever, and he's, like, pushing two toys together, and one toy is labeled my uh, rifle upper, or my pistol upper, and the other toy is labeled my rifle lower, and then the dog was labeled me drunk in my garage. And it's like, literally, if he were to put the two together, he would be committing a felony right there in his house. But it's, it's funny because that literally is just how simple, but also how nine this all really is. Yeah. I love the visual aids that Gray has. It's fantastic. <laughs> Don't do it, Gray. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so, I mean, for anybody who obviously can't see Gray here, he has, in one hand, he's got an AR-15 rifle with a longer than 16-inch barrel. In the other hand, he's got an AR-15 pistol that has a barrel that's shorter than 16 inches. And they have, you can see the difference between the stock on one side on the right and the brace on the left. And if he were to just swap those lowers and those uppers, that would be a felony. But as long as he keeps them separate and doesn't put them together like that, he's perfectly legal. Which is also a really puzzling just kind of thing to me, because I know that there are laws regarding intent to build. And I just don't know really where they draw the line. Like, I know that like you can order all the parts to build your own uh, suppressor or silencer, as people know them. Um, but I think as long as you don't actually put it together, you are fine. Like, it's perfectly legal to have that. But I think you just aren't able to put it together, let alone put it on your rifle, unless you, you know, file for the form and register it and, you know, do all the proper paperwork and pay the, the fees that go along with that. And this actually goes back to something that I forgot to mention when we were talking about automatic versus semi-auto. Um, it's also perfectly legal to buy a fully auto trigger sear repair kit. I remember seeing them online. like They were selling for like 70 bucks. It was like a lower parts kit that had all the parts to make an AR-15 essentially into an M16 that would fire fully automatic. And I was asking people in the comments, I'm like, you can just buy this? Like, this is legal to buy? And they're like, oh, yeah, as long as you don't drill the third hole that is required to install that and you don't install it in your rifle, it's totally fine to have as a repair kit. What do you got there, Gray?
0: So uh, the thing with the auto sears is with those, yeah, it's drilling it and assembling it. And then you've got to mill a tiny part inside your lower receiver to make it drop in. Um, okay. That's one piece. Uh, The other thing I wanted to say was the third hole for AKs. So you can buy the entire kit for an AK full auto fire control group. You can install it, but the third hole that they're talking about is on the side of an AK lower. There is a Y shape. If you drill a hole there, it is now a machine gun. Oh, Jesus. Regardless of the the pieces that you have in there, that's that third hole that that you run into, but you can own all of the all of the pieces, the auto sear, uh, all of the pins to do it, um as long as you never officially plan on converting it into a full auto firearm.
1: yeah, um let's talk about just a little bit about suppressors. Um, I don't want to spend too long on this because it's not really relevant to most people, but I feel like people at least know of the idea of a suppressor or a silencer. I think the proper term is suppressor but commonly known because of movies and TV as silencers. Um, so these are an NFA-regulated item, but they're still legal in 38 states. They've been banned in California, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Vermont, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Jersey, Delaware, and D.C. But in most states, if you want a suppressor for your rifle or pistol, you buy one or build one, apply for the permit for it, pay the $200 fee to the ATF again, and after the waiting period for it to be approved, which can be several months or even a year or more, you can legally put this on your gun and fire it suppressed. There's also a lot of jokes about, you know, people's uh, guns being in uh, jail, uh, what do they call it? Like, I think, I think that's simply the term. They say it's like it's, it's in jail until they get it out. And basically your suppressor is held at your local gun store until the letter comes in and says that you can take it home and shoot without ear protection. Um, so they don't work the way that you would typically think of in movies where they make that pew, pew kind of sound. But they do significantly reduce the noise to be under 140 decibels or the sound level of a chainsaw or a lawnmower. Enough that you could fire an AR-15 without ear protection, provided that you're using subsonic ammo, which is made to have less velocity and be quieter than normal ammo. Uh, I've never seen anyone use this suppressor in real life, but I've been told that firing the 22 caliber—that's the really tiny ammo—and seeing rifles and pistols. If you look up 22 long rifle, uh, if you want to see an example of what 22 is, um, I've heard that that's incredibly quiet. So that may actually be closer to how movies portray suppressors, although it still doesn't make that laser kind of sound that they always use for
0: some reason, which you got great. <laughs> Um, so the other thing, uh, that it comes down to like the laws on these yeah, <laughs> is you can go onto like wish and go look up a solvent trap.
1: Dude, they keep suggesting me that shit. Like I've looked for like, like angled four grips, like just the cheap things that you could put on your gun. And if you just start looking those up cause they're cheap, like those are perfectly legal to have, like you just put like angled four grips or any kind of like straps or any other accessories you'd get for your gun. You start looking those up on wish. You will start immediately getting suggested solvent traps. I'm like, Fuck no, ATF, not this time. You are not getting me. Like, not nice try, FBI, but no fucking thanks.
0: Yeah, and th- those like you can legally go buy them as long as you don't drill a hole in the top. Um yeah. So, and and one of the other things is, uh, like, the whole idea of solvent trap is literally if you buy an adapter for this purpose, it becomes a silencer under law. So you know you can't do it, but. You can buy an adapter that will adapt your rifle to a oil filter, and you yeah, can go get I've like a Fram. Team. Yeah, I and like forty-five
1: uh, had a video on it. He shot his AR-15 through an oil filter that had like a special adapter for it, and it's big and cumbersome, and it makes it really hard to like see through the sights. You'd have to get some really high sights to see around the oil filter. But yeah, it worked really well. It actually was pretty effective.
0: Yeah, and it's it's one of those that it's you know these laws will always find a way to be circumvented.
1: Yeah. Yeah, in case anybody is not getting the point of that just yet, I think we've successfully driven that home, hopefully. Um, So let's talk about um, calibers. So like I just mentioned, 22 22 is like that really small, uh, it's a very common caliber. If you look up 22 long rifle, you'll see an example of that. And it's usually what people are recommended to start with when they get into shooting. There's almost no recoil. You can pretty much fire it without ear protection. I mean, I always have. And it's the cheapest caliber. It's usually at $0.19 per round currently. So it's perfect for familiarizing yourself with firearms and training. They're also very small and light, so you can easily carry a lot of them and fit a lot of them into a magazine. But making a mistake, it's still very deadly. 22 has killed more people than any other caliber. And it can also be very effective for hunting, provided your shots are placed carefully. I just saw a video on YouTube of this guy. He was hunting hogs in his backyard, and he shot one right through the brain, and it like it went down instantly. And I wasn't even sure that you could do that, I like guess. I've heard stories of like... People like on YouTube videos suggesting that you could effectively hunt moose with a 22 long rifle. I don't know if I buy that, but I guess if you place the shot perfectly, you may be able to take down a moose
0: with a 22. I don't know. With uh, 22, uh, one of the things that happens is it will have penetrating power going in, but it will lose so much that it just bounces around wherever it hits. Oh. So, you know, you get it somewhere in the nose and the eye. It's isn't
1: that, isn't that what the guy killed uh, Dimebag Daryl with at the Pantera show? Was it a twenty-two, or did he use a? Maybe he had a nineteen eleven, or it might have been nine. I can't remember, but like that, I know that, that is true. Twenty-two has killed more people than any other caliber, which I was blown away when I heard that fact. Um, and then there's five-five-six NATO and two-two-three. Those are lumped together because they're very similar. These are the rounds that are fired by AR-15s and AR pistols. It's called five-five-six NATO as it's the ammo used by NATO forces and the militaries of most countries that are part of NATO. It's incredibly common here in the U.S. because of AR-15s. And until recently, it was fairly cheap. Usually, it was about 25 to 50 cents per round, depending on the quality of ammo that you got. But since the election and COVID, it's been around 75 cents to a dollar or more per round, again, depending on the quality. Uh, The bullet itself, for anyone unfamiliar, this means the tip part of the round, you know, that part that you see that's, like, detached from the casing. That's what actually leaves the gun when you fire it. And the casing is what holds the powder and the primer and everything. That's the part that gets ejected from the gun. So, the bullet itself is the same diameter as a 22 round. It's very small. In fact, you can actually get a kit that drops right into your AR 15, allowing you to fire 22 rounds out of it. And it's quieter, it's less expensive. So, people will often use that to train with their ARs and do so cheaply and quietly. So, the difference is because the shell is much larger, the casing, it holds a lot more powder and it's fired at a greater velocity, 2,900 feet per second, as compared to the 1,070 feet per second of the 22. So the bullet is also longer and heavier than a 22, and these factors make it more deadly because when it, what it's designed to do is fragment upon impact, and it often will tumble inside the tissue, like you were saying about the 22 as well. So it causes a lot more damage, and that's why AR-15s are so deadly. Um, if you have an AR, you're more than likely able to fire both 5.56 or 2.23 with it. 5.56 has more powder in the casing than 2.23 and is therefore more powerful, even though the rounds are identical in size. If you have a 556 barrel, you can fire either one. But if you have a 223 dedicated barrel, you cannot safely fire a 556. But this is very rare. I really would be hard pressed to find a dedicated 223 barrel because most are chambered in either 556 or 223 wild. And that's made specifically to fire both. And so then those are probably some of the most common. Oh, 9mm, I also want to mention. This is probably the most common round we use for pistols. It can also be used in what are called pistol caliber carbines, which are rifles that are made to fire pistol calibers. And these are convenient because you could usually share magazines between your pistol and your rifle this way. So 9 millimeter also has more than doubled in price in the wake of COVID and Biden becoming president. But 9 millimeter is what's typically used in Glocks and most uh, pistols that people would carry, uh, concealed carry for defensive use or for home defense or anything like that. So 9 millimeter. Probably the most popular caliber, I guess, it would be right up there with 5.56 and two two three as far as the U.S. is concerned. 762 by 39 that's the caliber for AK-style guns. Um, Kalashnikovs and AK-47s and everything. So these can also be used for rifles and pistols, similarly to AR-15s with regards to the barrel lengths and the braces versus stocks issue. Um, this is a larger round than 5.56, and it relies more on the weight and the size of the bullet and tumbling to do damage rather than the velocity. Uh, this makes it also more effective with shorter barrels and with suppressors than five five six, which you got to be holding up some five five six or some oh. AK
0: rounds. I mean I can go get those if you want. Um, <laughs> no no <laughs> So on on the nine mil, uh, when it comes to the pistol caliber carbines, one of the other things that they make is called a microconversion kit.
1: Oh, is that the Glock Roni or something?
0: Yeah, so uh, well so this is the microconversion kit. The um, CAA Roni is a brace. Uh, is a stock not a brace the micro conversion kit is a brace and this has that that kind of difference between um, what you can do legally with a pistol which is anything you can brace your hand on brace it on your shoulder and use is legal if you have something that you can grip your thumb around then it's no longer a you know legal pistol and it becomes a uh, short barrel rifle now these manufacturers have made it so You have a nice little area that you can keep a spare magazine. Not that you would ever use it as a hand.
1: Oh my God, dude.
0: But you know, these, these things exist that way. Um,
1: This is a very visual thing, but you know, gray here has this device that's made to you literally just put a Glock pistol into it. Like it slides right in. um, It fits perfectly in there and it's made sort of, it just adds a brace to your Glock pistol and effectively turns it into essentially a rifle that is, you know, legal to fire um, the way that you would fire a rifle by putting something up against your shoulder for stability. And then he just showed us how it's got a little convenient storage spot in the front of it where you're meant to put an extra magazine, not the magazine that actually fits the rounds into the gun while you're firing, but just a spare magazine. And it just very conveniently is in such a spot that it would be really comfortable to grab onto with your front hand the same way you would if you had a vertical foregrip, which would be illegal to put on a pistol. Um, that's something we didn't get into when we were talking about the pistols versus rifles. If you put a vertical foregrip as opposed to an angled foregrip onto a pistol, you have now changed the qualification of it, and that's, uh, that's illegal to do. So please be careful and don't do that. But as far as calibers, I think that covers the most common ones. I think as far as at least this country is concerned, 5.56 NATO and two two three, nine 9 9mm, and forty five ACP. And the forty five is what is used in 1911-style pistols. Um, if you're not familiar, look up a Colt 1911. You've definitely seen these in movies and TV shows. It's a significantly larger round than 9mm. It recoils harder. It packs more of a punch. The trade-off is that you'll be able to fit fewer of them in a magazine, usually 7 in a magazine like in the 1911. And you'd obviously be able to carry less of it. But like I said, it's a much heavier and harder-hitting round. But so those are probably the most common in the U.S. And then 7.62x39 is probably the most common round everywhere else in the world because AKs are so incredibly popular in other countries. And then I just wanted to make a quick note about other calibers this is usually getting in the territory of like longer range shooting and like what you would consider sniper rifles. Um, So when most people think of these huge bullets, like 50 BMG again, Google 50 BMG or just if you've seen the movie, the Hurt Locker uh, in that scene where he's sniping that person from really far away, who's in like a concrete structure and he literally like shoots them, I think through some cinder blocks, a 50 BMG or like a Barrett 50 Cal is this enormous looking, rifle it's very similar to an af-15 but it's just huge it's got a very long barrel the cartridge itself is fucking enormous it's like i think they're like 12 bucks a round it's like something ridiculous like they're super expensive so i mean the only reason they even bring these up is because i want to get across to people is like what you would typically think these are for if you're uninitiated you would think that the purpose of these is to blow a huge hole in your target which will just really just explode whatever it is that you're hitting and i mean that definitely is accomplished with these huge rounds like this But really what the purpose is, is to reach out to longer distances. So if you were to fire a gun, not at a target, but just over a very long distance, like you're on the Salt Flats of New Mexico or something, you just fired into such a distance that it wasn't going to hit anything before dropping to the ground. And then you also dropped a marble at the same time that you pulled the trigger on the gun. The marble and the bullet will land on the ground at the same time. So think of that. I mean, that blew my mind when somebody told me that too. I mean, that was just crazy to think about. But like if you drop something at the same time you fire a bullet, the bullet and the thing you dropped will hit the ground at the same time. The bullet will just do so much, much further away. And that's the idea behind having these huge rounds and these huge cartridges like a 50 BMG or something. You want it to go as far as you possibly can in the time that you have before it drops to the ground. And so that's what all these like high powered cartridges are designed to do is just reach out to a further distance before gravity takes the velocity away from you. Here, Ward explained that fifty BMG and similar calibers are actually antimaterial weapons used to penetrate structures and stop vehicles. I guess there are calibers that are designed for, you know, human targets, but also long distances, and they're probably like rounds that are between five five six
0: and like a fifty BMG. What about three oh eight? Is that a common one? So, ah, uh, uh, interesting thing about the 308. Um, so, the alternative name for this is the 7.62 by 51 NATO. Oh, okay. So, literally, the bullet on this is the same size as the bullet that comes out of the 7.61 by 39 Warsaw. So, same bullet. If I had a manufacturing setup, I could case these. I could case AK ammo, and I could case the Mosin 7.62 by 54R. So those are all the same bullet with just more powder behind them.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, that's the concept we want to get across. Is like a lot of times you can have the same size bullet, but then just the casing will be much bigger, has more powder behind it, so it reaches out to a further distance and allows you to hit targets that are further away. Um, so I think that's really all I wanted to talk about as far as calibers are concerned. Just to you know familiarize people with them, the spelling and they may have about like what they are made for. Um, so, Gray, I think that's everything I wanted to touch on as far as what I brought tonight from my notes. Did you want to uh, get into your stuff about the SRA leftist orgs and concealed carry
0: stuff? Yeah. So um, one of the things that, you know, a lot of people may, uh, may be dealing with right now is kind of that, you know, you, you've got the how do we keep ourselves safe? How do we um, regulate in order to in order to make sure that, you know, the wrong people don't get the guns? And I think we've we've addressed at this point that there's almost no way to do that.
1: I should say, I do want to make a quick note, like, that is highly dependent on just the the state that this country is in. You know what I mean? Like, other countries obviously were able to outlaw guns, like, that's another common argument from gun control advocates, is that they say, well, it worked in England, it worked in Australia, it worked in all these places where they outlawed guns, and it's like, they did that a very long time ago, and they also didn't have the Obsessive culture around guns that America has. Like I addressed this. I don't know if I'm gonna if it's gonna stay in the recording. But like before we actually started the recording proper tonight, um, I was talking to Jaron Award, and we were, I was saying that like gun control probably could have been done in this country the way it was done in other countries if it had been done at that time, like years before, and if we didn't have this particular culture around it. But because it's been done in these drip and drab kind of ways, and because people are so adamant about their guns and how much they love them and they want to make sure they keep them at all costs, every time a piece of legislation gets introduced, they stockpile things, they stockpile ammo, they stockpile gun parts, they learn how to build guns from scratch if they have to, they buy 3D printers, and they do whatever they can to circumvent the gun control. And so we are now at the point where it's pretty much an inevitability that people are going to have guns. I mean, not just for the sheer fact that people in America have more guns already than in any other country in the world. And like the people who have them, like I said at the very beginning of the episode, they have a lot of them. And they have all these methods for hiding them, burying them in the ground if they fucking want to. Like whatever methods that they have for circumventing this gun control, they have already planned this stuff out. They have thought about it. They think about it all the fucking time because they do really feel like they're under attack from this oppressive nanny state that wants to disarm them so that they
2: can institute communist Sharia law or something. Um but what did you have Jared? Well, so the first thing is you you took the words out of my mouth as I wanted to address to I know we have a couple of listeners that aren't American and um a lot of times when I meet people from overseas I remember one specific time I was at a tattoo convention in New York and and there was an English tattooer I was talking to and he was like so do you have guns and I was like yeah I have guns. And He's like that's wild, you know, <laughs> and I'm like well everyone here more or less has a gun. You know, so I think you put it really well, Mike, is like it's, it's imperative to note to people who are overseas that even if you aren't a quote unquote gun nut, you know, someone who, who purchases and buys guns for the purposes of like paranoia or whatever, even if you're just an enthusiast, there is a cultural part of that here in the United States because we cannot separate ourselves from involvement with firearms at this point. It is too late. It has proliferated beyond control of the government, as we've illustrated in this entire episode. And, you know, I, remember, I recall some Japanese general saying you can't invade the American mainland because there would be a rifle behind every blade of grass. That shit's mm-hmm. very true. So at this point, we're more so poised with the idea of how to dispel false rumors about firearms and actually identify the problems that cause violence, because there is no other recourse in our country for this. Um, if anyone overseas happens to be listening. The other thing I'll say is like to me, and I'm I'm not trying to take away from the importance of having discussions about civilian firearms because we do need to talk about it. But all this is to say like, The monopoly on violence in general, separating this from the wars that we commit, separating this from the idea that the military is toying with the rods of God, which are like these tungsten spikes that shoot down from space and cause a fucking nuclear explosion without the nuclear part. You know, when I think about gun violence, domestic violence, it is no separate to me than the fact that Joe Biden just gave the Saudis a shitload of guns to basically annihilate Yemen. Um, Mm -hmm. We're not looking at violence as a whole. We're looking at violence in these weird, separated components. And to me, that is a problem because we're not approaching it from the perspective of how do we all become more nonviolent? We're looking at it as the civilians are to blame and it's separate from the government violence, the monopoly on violence under which we live our whole life and, you know, ignore for the most part. So... All of this, I know this is like getting into like some Cosper area dialectics, but if we're going to talk about violence, we have to talk about violence. We cannot exclude the person getting shot in Colorado from the people that we murder every fucking day with our tax dollars. It's all violence and it's all encouraged by our culture and by our government. To me, there's no way to attack how do we prevent domestic violence without saying, how can we address violence being part of us?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, and that ties in perfectly because what I wanted to say regarding like the left wing gun organizations and everything and just regarding gun control as a whole, I think we've made it pretty clear that gun control is next to impossible, if not actually impossible in the US to, in this day and age. But if you actually want to stop mass shootings, because again, that is the part that Americans are concerned about because we are so xenophobic, You know, we really only care about what's going on in America right at our front door. And so mass shootings are the violence that we care about here in the US, not you know, the violence that we're doing with our tax dollars to people in the global South or whatever. But if you actually do want to stop mass shootings, if you want to stop gun violence, the way to do it ideally would be to move past capitalism to move to a system that doesn't alienate people, doesn't make them feel like they are so desperate and feel like they have nothing to lose, and also don't care about anybody that's around them to the point that they would be willing to go and just shoot up a bunch of random strangers. If we could move to a system that doesn't alienate people to to that degree, then that would obviously do a lot to stop mass shootings if we took care of people's basic needs so they don't become that desperate. That would be the ideal way to do it. The second best way to do it would just be to arm enough people that mass shootings become not feasible it becomes something that people don't even feel like they have the ability to do and survive them for more than a couple seconds and that would literally have to happen through several years of the culture changing to the point where enough people are armed that a couple people attempt mass shootings and then are immediately shot like i know that there was that incident a couple years ago in a church where this guy pulled out a gun and somebody literally across the church shot the dude with a pistol and took him down immediately and i don't think he was even able to kill anybody or maybe he like took out one person but like that would be an effective way to stop mass shootings. If you, if a couple incidents like that happened and people realized they could not do mass shootings anymore. But to that end, I will actually hand it off to Gray now and we
0: can talk about leftist gun wars and arming the people who need to be armed. Well, but the, the thing that I think we need to permeate the leftist space with right now is a lot of us are coming to this from the liberal viewpoint of gun regulation is good. And we've already addressed the, the reasons why... Um, gun regulation doesn't work. But the other thing that we need to look at is that the fact that it doesn't work is actually a good thing because, like we've said, the transfer of power does not come without the threat of violence. Literally, that is uh, Marx, that is Che, like any book that you can get in between here and there is going to explain that, you know, the people in the UK who don't have access to these, you know, type of firearms If they ever actually wanted to have a proletarian revolution, they can't because the state has such a monopoly on violence there that it would never happen. Um, And that's not to say uh, I I know this gets into the the anarchist uh, MLMLM debate of state monopoly on violence, which I think is a whole other episode that we could get into whether or not the and we're going uh, to, trust me. Uh, yeah, w- w- whether or not the state should disarm the fuds or whether we should have it, you know, where everybody has access to a firearm and, you know, that will self-regulate by the invisible hand of the the democratic market. Um I mean, it so, is funny just on that note real quick. It is funny to me that
1: like the gun guys in the 1776 tricorner had larpers. They do stumble on some correct conclusions. Like they do stumble on the idea that if the government disarms everyone, then yes, we all do become serfs unwilling to, you know, rise up against tyranny. Um, they just don't know that they're using Marxist rhetoric when they're saying that kind of thing. Um, just because they cuck think that what's that cucked populists. <laughs> <laughs> but then also, like, yeah, I mean, they are right when they say that an, an armed populist is a polite populist. Like if you are walking around and everybody's got a sidearm, you're gonna be very polite and respectful. But go ahead, you're right, sorry
0: armed minorities are harder to oppress like that's 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 literally what it is and i think like what's going to eventually happen i hope it doesn't but that the right wing is going to realize that gun regulation benefits them to where it's like okay we know that we're always going to be able to pass the background checks and you know it may take us six months to go get it we may have to have a license for you know, firearms and munitions, whatever. That means that the leftists won't have guns. The uh, trans people won't have guns. Any minority group won't have guns. Like, that's that's literally what they did in the 1960s, disarming the Black Panther uh, Party for self-defense, which later became just the Black Panther Party. But so, in the spirit of the Black Panther Party, uh, you know, there are several organizations that did exist in the United States uh, up until recently, the Huey P. Newton Gun Club, the John Brown Gun Club, and Redneck Revolt—all of these organizations were direct action leftist gun organizations, which is why they no longer exist. They have been, you know, I didn't know that. Yeah, in the in the SRA, we actually, uh, in my chapter of the SRA, uh, we actually have someone who was fairly close to founding members of one group and uh, actually helped start another one of those the aforementioned groups I'm not going to go into who it is just for upset yeah. but so because they were direct action because they would do the mutual aid and the self-defense stuff and all of those pieces but also sanction protests like psl does or Fizro or you know any of the groups that that exist currently they go out and do protests they were you know immediately brought up against intervention by, you know, the powers that be to keep them from doing that because they don't want armed leftists, Yeah, which is where the Socialist Rifle Association has kind of found its niche. So the SRA is a, you know, leftist gun club that focuses on self-defense, community defense, mutual aid, and, you know, those kinds of things. But because they're a 501C4, they cannot specifically advocate for certain protests, those kinds of things. So they try to keep everything above the board. Uh, they'll cover things like bringing leftists into understanding gun culture. Uh, we have several uh, trans individuals in our chapter who have literally said, I don't want to carry a gun, but I have to, because I'm afraid for my life. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we make sure that we reach out to those kinds of groups. Uh, there's a group called the pink pistols, which is a liberal group um mm-hmm. so obviously there's there's a, yeah <laughs> i see some scowls uh so we try to reach out to them to make sure that they understand the basics of of safety we've also no, got. I,
1: I advocate for people to join pink pistols all the time that's one of the only ones i know of uh that's specifically like a queer and trans gun club is pink pistols and i think trigger warning is as well if
0: they're still around Yeah. um, uh, And armed margins. That's another one that kind of gets Mm. into that. Uh, Again, they're not fully socialist. They're not fully leftist. But that's one of the reasons why we like to work with them, because the SRA only exists as a way to say, "Okay, we will militarize ourselves as long as the state militarizes itself with the with the moniker of we keep us safe. But you know they'll, they'll go through. Uh, we also do non-firearm related self-defense, uh, like we're working on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, Muay Thai, as uh, ways that we're coming out of COVID to be able to have that, that self-defense list. Um, additionally, we try to help bring in leftists who may not necessarily have that self-defense, like don't know how to shoot a firearm, that kind of thing. Uh, we'll cover the ACAVs of gun safety, which are things like uh, always treat firearms as if they're loaded, control your muzzle at all times, make sure you know where it's pointed, avoid the trigger until you're ready to shoot, and be aware of your target and what lies beyond it, so that way you know, if you're shooting at a bad guy and there's a kid with a balloon behind them you should know that, you should not just be like okay, um, because bullets are about penetration, you know
1: Yeah, that's probably the main rule of gun Uh, Of guns. I mean, there are the four basic rules, like like you said, treat it always as if it's loaded, but just don't ever point your muzzle at anything you are not willing to
0: destroy. It's like the most basic thing you could possibly do. Okay. Well, and, yeah. and 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 we we worked on that as a as a way to turn those gun rules into a leftist, you know. It's it. We have big posters and stuff that say the A.C.A.B.s of gun safety. Yeah,
1: I do. Um, I do love that aspect of it, where they made because the those four rules were created by and you know propagated in the gun culture, which is typically right wing. And then the S.R.A. came along and turned it into the A.C.A.B. and I love it.
0: It's great. Yeah, we'll also do other stuff like. Uh, if someone wants to be more advanced and, you know, this gets into that kind of revolutionary view of like, you've got to go train, you've got to go do these things of uh, like, shoot and move tactical reloads, multiple targets, like, you know, we'll have someone pop out there and we'll get like three targets set up and we'll have a shot timer and we'll, you know, like do the three targets and compare times. Um, You know, those are the, the more advanced things that if someone wanted to go get that type of training, more than likely, you're gonna go to a MAGA hat or someone mm-hmm. who's ex-military or law enforcement to to do that. So we try to take that and um, create a space where people who may be uh, vulnerable don't have to put themselves in a uh, potentially hostile situation. Like we've got a member who has the same lower as me, which has a big old unicorn on it. <laughs> oh, um, I love that. And a then The settings are safe space, triggered, and full lib turd. So, um, and, you know, she's trans, and she goes out, and she has a pink and blue and white AR, you know, and has the off-color decal, you know, like, trans fly stuff. So, obviously, if she showed up at a, a gun range, you know, a lot of people would probably be like, Mm -hmm. that man is doing something fun you know and and like so so we want to make sure that you know people have a safe space to be able to practice those things in addition to like the gun stuff and the mutual aid we also focus on like the first aid stop the bleed and we'll do uh conceal carry classes so that way again you don't have to put yourself in a in a space with right-wing people who may be making jokes about shooting antifa and that's why you want to get your your conceal carry so one of the things that I constantly harp on with firearms is if you're going to make holes, you should be able to plug them. Good point, so, good point. Uh, so, you know, the right wingers want to go out and shoot people, you know, that's, that's why they went crazy on the Capitol. That's why they are obsessed with, you know, the gravy seal, meal team six style tactical, <laughs> where, you know, they're like, I'm gonna go play soldier. And it's like, no, 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 you're, you have zero threats in this. You are the threat to everyone. Yeah. The reason why I have firearms is to be able to, you know, help protect from white supremacists showing up. As I've mentioned before, we did some community defense on kind of the hot point nights. Um, And I think, I think my favorite anecdote from that was I was walking around, I was fully kitted out. I had my rifle on me and this lady comes around the corner and she's like, what are you guys doing in my neighborhood? Why are you walking around armed? And I had a, I am an anti-fascist patch on my chest and as soon as she got close, she looked at that and she was like, Oh, you're one of us. You're not a threat. You're actually defending us. The only reason why you look like that is to be able to defend the neighborhood. So she's like, Come back, come back. Uh we walk into the front door, she peeks her head in and goes, Tim, come out and meet the local Antifa. <laughs> I love it, dude. That's great. Like, like it's it's that that understanding that it is community defense that we only exist as a way to Go against reactionaries.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's why I plug the SRA at every opportunity. Like, if you're a leftist and you're not a member of the SRA, you absolutely should be. And if you're not into firearms, you should at least consider getting into them, at least look into them. That's hopefully what this episode is, is a primer on them, no pun intended. Uh, Hopefully just to get people initiated with the concepts of firearms and dispel some myths so that they at least feel a little more comfortable talking, reading about them, learning about them. And, you know, you made such a great point that I had never even thought of, Gray. When you said that we are actually lucky that the right opposes gun control so hard, just out of their own stupidity of not realizing how the world and politics and capitalism actually works, and that it actually works in their favor if gun control were enacted, because again, they will always pass the background checks, and if anything, it will be disarming the minorities and the marginalized people that they already hate and want to wage war against. Um, But again, because of their just own ignorance, they oppose it, and lucky for us, because they are very effective at it. They donate lots and lots of money to lobbyist organizations like the NRA and other gun groups that prevent gun legislation from passing and yeah that does absolutely help us a lot and by that same token anybody who wants to learn more about guns like don't hesitate to fucking watch right wing youtube videos about them because you really won't be able to find many that aren't like a ton of information i've got about guns uh, before i was going to buy like uh there was a a gun i wanted to buy and i wanted to see if it was good and it was like iraq veteran 8888 on youtube did a gun review on it and i'm like yeah and he's a fucking chug obviously he's got millions of subscribers and obviously he's a fucking nazi or at least nazi adjacent the very best but no, like it's tip you off but okay i mean yeah I mean, it <laughs> definitely doesn't fucking hurt yeah that's a pretty telltale sign but yeah i mean but that being said i mean he's got a lot of info on his channel that leftists should avail themselves of if you need to learn something i'm not saying directly go to this guy's channel and i hate to even give them the plug but my point is that you will be getting into some right wingers stuff and there's no reason that you shouldn't avail yourselves of the info that they're going to give you. Like you're just only doing yourself a disservice if you don't. Okay.
0: So on that, I do want to plug a couple of people that I know like tactical girlfriend, uh guerrilla tactical. Those are two leftist channels on YouTube. So if you can go to those channels and I know that there are more people who are working on trying to fill that space of uh, not giving, you know, chuds that. Yeah that space so um we do exist out there but yeah totally get it that uh like i love AKs. um i watch the ak local operator union 4774 and you know he's he's old russian guy very much neath the rifle is fine um (laughs) but you know he he always talks about like the the guns that are made in america he's like because you know this makes the market so much better to have more options of same ak so you know he's he's a capitalist russian which is really weird to listen to yeah. so but he's got great info all
1: right did you have anything else on the sra and gun orgs?
0: no i i did want to just state that i am not an official pr person for the sra i'm just a member that is very adamant about our group So if you want to learn more, uh, you can go to SocialistRA.org and you can either sign up to join a local chapter or create a chapter of your own.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that gets right back into what we always talk about on this podcast, which is organizing, joining your local org, getting out there and doing the direct action and doing the real work of socialism. Uh, I think that covers just about everything. Uh, I did list in here that we could have talked about like the Boogaloo and the Boogaloo Boys. I mean, just the, the short explanation is the boogaloo is the code word for what the right wing talks about when they say like the day that they're all going to get together and rise up against the government and do 1776 part two. They call it the boogaloo. They also call it the big igloo. If you see any guys using Hawaiian, wearing Hawaiian shirts or they have Hawaiian gear, like the Hawaiian straps around their rifles, Hawaiian stickers on their magazines, any, anything Hawaiian shirt themed, they are definitely right wing, cap, libertarian kind of guys. Uh, keep your daughters away, and you know, th- th- just know who, that's who you're dealing with if
2: you see that kind of thing, that's a dead giveaway. Um, God, they cannot just do anything without appropriating other shit. Yeah, like, yeah. They, <laughs> fuck. Uh,
1: did I say that they also call it Big Igloo? As a, in addition to Big Boogaloo, they will, they use all kinds of different code words to, uh, because they're so clever, and you know, the ATF definitely hasn't caught on to their little clever terms. Did you have something else, Greg? Sorry.
0: Uh, so I just I, I I love the origin of it because it is so stupid that it's Civil War II electric boogaloo. Yeah, <laughs> and and that that just became like through General English the big igloo, which also became the big luau, which is why yep. they wear the the Hawaiian shirts. It's uh, it, thank you. Okay. Yeah, it's it, it's ridiculous. It is as much of a joke as their political stances.
1: Yeah, and then I guess the only other thing we could touch on is just you know concealed carry. If you have that available to you in your state, consider it. You know what I mean? Like, it's actually not that hard. Um, I know some other states are a little harder. You have to, like, get references. Maybe you have to take a class, but look into the guidelines for your state. Consider it because it's probably one of the best ways you could defend yourself if you were to be attacked by some right wing nut job, you know, or just anybody, anybody who's, you know, going to commit a crime against you. Like, so it's a type of way to defend yourself. And you should at least consider it if you feel comfortable carrying a firearm, or even if you don't yet and think that you may like that's really what it comes down to is training like a lot of people don't feel comfortable with the idea with the idea of carrying a loaded firearm that they can just pull out at any second and squeeze off a few rounds until they do the proper training they realize the safety of the holsters that they have and realize that the, it can't be fired from the holster and so it's fairly oh. safe it, it is really
0: safe to carry it on your person Hey, okay, ahead um so one of the things that a lot of people are, are scared about is the training because they think in order to train with my firearm i have to go out to the range and shoot it um mm-hmm. recoil control and accuracy is a small piece of firearm training which is you know probably about 20 percent. the other 80 percent is uh trigger control these are all things that you can do at your house you can do dry fire practice to make sure that you're squeezing the trigger and not pulling the trigger Because if you squeeze it, you should maintain target. If you pull it, you're actually yanking on the gun, and you can do things like put a set of pennies on top of your gun to make sure that they don't fall off as you squeeze the trigger. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also do things like conceal carry draw, primary, secondary weapons transitions where you have like a rifle and you drop and then go to your your sidearm, uh, and then returning room clearing, uh, tactical reloads. Those are all things that you can do without ever actually having to fire off around. Obviously, when you do stuff like this, always make sure that the gun is unloaded, pointed in a safe direction. Um, One of the suggestions that I've seen is, you know, people say put the ammo in a different room. So that way there's, there's never a chance of that. Always, always make sure to follow those ACABs gun safety. But Get familiar with it, and then, especially with the way prices are right now, then go out to the range. Um, go out with you know, some comrades. Uh, create a defense affinity group um, so that way you can do neighborhood defense if you need to. But all of, all of those things can happen without ever having to actually fire your gun. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and then go out to the range and do a bunch of uh, mag dumps. Don't like carefully place your shots and actually practice your shooting technique. Just go out, just bang, 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 like an idiot and waste a bunch of money. <laughs> All right, so I think that actually does cover everything that we wanted to get to. I think we'll wrap it up there. Greg, go ahead and uh, plug your Instagram page and tell people
0: where you can find your memes. Uh, so it's uh, at red underscore Merksman, uh, on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, that's pretty much all I do is just shitpost when I'm high. so.
1: Oh, yeah, as we all do. I love it. Based. No, I mean you definitely have a lot of really funny stuff, especially with the
2: firearm-related stuff. It's right up my alley. I love it. Uh, Jaron, you want to plug your website? Sure. It's uh, Jaron Perlman, J-A-R-O-N-P-E-A-R-L-M-A-N.com. Both of my books are available there and 100% of the proceeds are going to Beloved Asheville again to work with the local homeless population, which they're actually doing some really cool shit now. They're not just handing out food, but they actually started um, setting up proper camps. So like they're they got the city to put trash cans out there. There's hand sanitizing stations, mask dispersal. And they're using excess money to get people vaccinated against the coronavirus. So they're making that's some awesome. big moves.
1: Hell yeah, that's that's really good to hear. Uh, go ahead, Ward. Plug you in Instagram. That's W A R D L A W L E Y, and his backup millennial leftist. Hell yeah! And then for everything else related to the podcast, just check out the link tree. That's link tree slash turn leftist. Come hang out with us in the Discord, and uh, come check out our Patreon. I think we have pretty much gotten the the go ahead that we should do some Patreon exclusive content. I did a little poll in the Discord the other day, and it seems that there's some support for that. So I think we will be at some point soon recording a second episode every week uh, for our five dollars a month subscribers. I hate to do the capitalist thing, but what can you do? We got to eat out of the trash can. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's kind of be. reasonable. I think a dollar twenty-five an episode for an extra four episodes a
0: month is really not that bad. So just um, remember, if you want the free content, just abolish capitalism, and we'll do this all day.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> All right, Uh, so we'll wrap it up there. Thank you guys for doing this. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This was fun, gentlemen.
2: Can't wait to do it again. See you, (laughs) Alad.